More than half of health workers report symptoms of burnout, and many are contending with a range of mental health challenges. Training institutions, health systems, and policymakers have begun exploring approaches to support well-being among clinicians and other healthcare and public health staff. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Vivek Murthy, the U.S. Surgeon General. Dr. Murthy has written a perspective article about addressing burnout among health workers. Dr. Murthy, you write in your perspective article that health worker burnout was a crisis long before COVID-19. So what factors were contributing to high rates of burnout in the healthcare and public health fields before the pandemic? And how has the pandemic compounded the problem? I'm so glad that we are talking more about health worker burnout because this was a crisis well before the pandemic, but the pandemic has really accentuated it and has just helped, I think, more people realize what a profound crisis this is. Before the pandemic, there were a number of things driving burnout. Health workers did not have adequate support, both mental health support in terms of actual mental health care, but also support to actually do the work of caring for patients and executing their duties when it came to public health. We also know that the workload on on clinicians as well as on public health workers and others in the health field had increased over time, as have the administrative burdens. Now, I think about my own experiences in the hospitals, seeing patients over the years and about some of the most frustrating moments being those where I was battling with insurance companies to get the medications that I knew my patients needed and to get coverage for rehab beds, even though it was so clear that our patient needed them. But I also remember other times where it felt like the broader system was not working for us when I had, for example, patients who were struggling with homelessness and were also dealing with chronic illnesses like addiction. And we knew that when we discharged them, that they wouldn't have the support that they needed out on the street, but the system wasn't set up to provide that. And that wears on clinicians. It contributes to moral injury where you know what a patient needs, but you're unable to actually get them what they need. And you put these things together and they contribute significantly to the burnout that clinicians have been experiencing. And finally, just consider this. There's a deep interplay between the healthcare system and the public health system. When public health isn't able to do its job as well as it needs to, more people struggle with illness. Uh, We can't prevent the kind of illnesses that we know how to deal with. And so more people show up in hospitals with heart disease and diabetes and other illnesses with the consequences of gun violence and other trauma. And this ultimately ends up impacting the clinicians who work in hospitals. So we've got to invest in public health if we want to reduce the workload, if you will, on the healthcare system. But for years, we haven't made that investment. And we're seeing the results of that play out right now. So you point to moral injury as one cause of burnout. Could you explain that a bit further and perhaps why it may be more common now than in previous generations of health workers? Well, moral injury occurs when you know what a patient needs for their health and well-being, but you're unable to get it for them, often because the system is broken. And many clinicians have experienced this now in part because we have more barriers to getting care and because we have a public health system and an infrastructure in society that doesn't work so well when it comes to preventing illness and caring for those who have chronic illness. And as a clinician these days, you see that up close. You see, for example, that there are more and more people coming in, not only with chronic illnesses like heart disease and diabetes, but people who are the victims of gun violence and other sources of trauma. And we've also seen that over the years that the barriers to care from whether it's prior authorizations or other obstacles that are placed in the way of getting coverage for critical items that patients need, that these are 
falling more and more on the shoulders of not only patients, but the clinicians who are charged with caring for them. And so you put these together and you encounter a situation where you have millions of people who entered the medical and nursing and other healthcare professions to care for people, to relieve suffering. What they're finding is that there are more and more barriers that are preventing them from doing so. They find they're spending more time in front of screens than in front of patients, more times battling with insurance companies and red tape than counseling families and helping them navigate the very, very difficult moments of illness. So the actions that you suggest be taken to address health worker burnout include ensuring that workers receive a living wage and that they receive access to health insurance. So what groups of health workers are most likely to lack these basic supports? And then who should be responsible for implementing reform? Well, when we talk about health worker burnout, it's important to recognize who's in that category. It includes doctors and nurses, but it also includes the other individuals who help deliver care, like respiratory therapists, physical therapists, the people who help keep our facilities clean, the security guards. All of these individuals have experienced increased stress and trauma during COVID-19. But this also includes public health workers. You know, these are the individuals we rely on in our communities to help monitor food safety, to help keep our water clean, to help react and respond when an outbreak takes place and in the setting of a pandemic like COVID-19. But they have been extraordinarily stressed during the pandemic. And in fact, eight in 10 health workers say that they have actually experienced physical or verbal attacks during the pandemic. We know that 52% of nurses are saying that they are planning to leave their clinical practice and one in five doctors uh, say the same. And over half of public health workers are endorsing now symptoms of anxiety, depression, and other mental health concerns. So the reverberations of burnout are broad uh, and they extend across the health spectrum. And this is actually why my belief is that this is not only an issue that the healthcare world needs to be concerned about, but that the broader public in America needs to be aware of, because this poses a direct and real threat to the health security of our country. This means that if more and more people are burning out, there will be fewer people to help respond to the next pandemic, fewer people to be there and provide emergency services when someone breaks a bone or falls ill, and fewer primary care clinicians to provide the basic preventive care that patients need. So you spoke earlier about the importance of administrative burdens as a cause of burnout. How did we end up with this system? More important, what steps will be required to reverse course? Well, we certainly didn't get here overnight. It's been years in the making that we've seen these administrative burdens increase. We've also just had a chronic underinvestment in public health. In fact, if you look back to the 2007-2008 timeframe when the Great Recession took place, the budgets of public health departments were slashed. But when the economy recovered, many of those budgets were not replenished. And so that has continued to strain us. But also, if we're honest about it, we look deeply within the health professions, we have to recognize that culturally we've had a problem as well, not having environments where it's okay to talk about the mental health struggles that so many health workers face and the emotional challenge and burdens that come with being a caregiver. We know that being a health worker has always been a physically and emotionally challenging and demanding profession, but we haven't often talked about that or acknowledged it as much. I think the responsibility for addressing these factors, it certainly lies on all of us. So I issued in earlier this year a Surgeon General's advisory on health worker burnout because I wanted to call the nation's attention to this issue, but also charge a number of groups with the responsibility for addressing it. Those include healthcare institutions and delivery systems themselves. It includes 
educational and training systems. It includes payers, health insurance companies, technology companies, and government itself. And I lay out a series of recommendations for what we have to do. But broadly speaking, they center around, number one, protecting health workers from violence, ensuring that they have personal protective equipment, PPE, which many of them did not have an adequate supply at the beginning of the pandemic. Second, it involves addressing this administrative burden of reducing prior authorizations, reducing the redundancy in paperwork that is so often demanded of clinicians. And third, it involves providing more mental health support for our clinicians. That means not only having insurance coverage, and keep in mind, many low-wage health workers don't have adequate health insurance coverage. Some of them don't have insurance coverage at all. But it's not only making sure that they have insurance coverage, but making sure that clinicians can actually get to mental health providers. Many nurses that I've talked to around the country often say that they've got insurance coverage, but they have no time to actually see a provider in settings where staffing is short and they're often working prolonged hours and often many night shifts. So we've got to bring the care to where people are and we can, through telemedicine, telepsychiatry, do that more effectively. But finally, we've also got to increase our investment in the public health infrastructure. Right now, we are in danger of not being ready to respond adequately to future threats that we may encounter uh, unless we not only invest in public health, but sustain that investment over time. So these are just some of the measures that we have to take. But finally, I'll just say that in addition to these policy and structural changes we've got to make, the cultural changes inside the profession are also incredibly important. You know, culture is the dominant influence over how we conduct our business. It ultimately shapes policy and practice. And right now I worry that in the medical profession in particular, we define strength so often by how many hours you can stay up and how many patients you can see in a shift, and not necessarily by the care that you provide for patients or the compassion or empathy that you deliver at the bedside. These are messages that trainees take in early on based on what they see among the attendings around them. But we've got to change that. It pains me to see that so often at academic institutions, we don't promote the people who are compassionate, empathic clinicians based on the quality of their care. We promote people based on how much grant funding they bring in and how many papers they publish. And that is important. Don't get me wrong. But what message are we sending to trainees when they look around them and they see that the people who are investing in spending time with patients and being kind and compassionate and putting their heart into caring for patients and caring for students, that those people are often at the low end of the totem pole when it comes to academic standing and promotion. The message we're sending them is that compassion and empathy don't matter as much. And so we have to make changes within the culture of the healthcare system and the healthcare professions so that we value those components and that so that it's okay for people to talk about the emotional challenges that they may feel as they go through the practice of medicine. That is okay. It doesn't make you weak if you're struggling. It makes you human. We have to make that loud and clear to our trainees. Finally, what steps is the federal government particularly taking to improve well-being among health workers? Given competing priorities and polarization, is there support for meaningful change in this area? Absolutely. And this is one of many reasons why I'm hopeful that we can make change and ultimately address burnout. I see a real awakening among members of our profession itself that we've got to do something differently when it comes to shaping the culture around burnout. I see a rising generation of trainees who recognize that the future has got to be different and they are taking it into their own hands to help inform policy and practice within the healthcare setting. But in government as well, I see changes happening. And I had the privilege of working during much of the pandemic with President Biden and briefing him often on COVID-19. And many of our conversations, especially early in 2020, when the pandemic hit, would often turn to health workers 
and he would often ask how they're doing. He was often very concerned about the burnout and the burdens that were being placed on health workers. And so we've continued to have conversations about health workers, but those conversations have been reflected also in the agenda that he and the broader administration have put forward. They've invested already hundreds of millions of dollars into strengthening the workforce and investing not only in training programs, but also in loan repayment programs and in other specific dedicated programs to help address burnout among clinicians. We've got to continue these investments. Even though the investments that have been made by the administration have been significant, and I would even say groundbreaking, what is going to matter is that we continue that focus also. We sustain those investments, that we let this not be an issue that's important today and then forgotten about tomorrow, but that we continue the years ahead to make sure that health worker well-being is a priority. And I'll lastly say, you know, I know this is personal to many of us because many of us in the field have experienced burnout. I certainly have as well during my time in practice. But I also think as a society, this is a moral moment for America. We have a moral obligation to take care of those who have dedicated their lives to taking care of us. And that has to be reflected in how we support, invest in, and show up for uh, health workers. I'm very proud to be a doctor. I'm proud to be a member of the health worker community. I came to this profession for the same reason so many of us did, because I wanted to play a part in helping to improve people's lives, to reduce pain and suffering, and hopefully bring hope and joy to the lives of people who were struggling with illness. And I think that we have to honor those intentions in that community. We have to recognize that people are stepping up to dedicate their lives to helping others. And we as a society have to make it a little bit easier for them to do so. We've got to take care of them as well. Thank you, Dr. Murthy.